This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. Hi, this is Francesca Gino on Leaders Lab. So who are you and what do you do? I am a professor at Harvard Business School. Uh, I'm a behavioral scientist, and I study human behavior. Well, awesome. And the, uh, the new book, which is really sort of a, a compilation of some amazing research on human behavior, the new book is called Sidetracked. Uh, why Our Decisions Get Derailed, and How We Can Stick to the Plan, which I know um, I am incredibly guilty of getting sidetracked far too often, and I sort of saw myself as I read through all of these different forces. But um, I want to kind of back up for a second and actually ask you sort of what led you to want to put all this research together and, and write a book to um, executives and leaders on, on getting sidetracked and how to stick with the plan. Yes, yeah, so, so uh, the MOCA was actually motivated in part by my own experience, uh, reflecting on my professional and personal life, as well as hearing a lot of situations from leaders and executives and managers whenever I got the chance to talk to them. So I do uh, a lot of my research in the field, so I get the chance to spend time with managers, leaders, and executives, and I often uh, hear stories about the fact that that they had spent a lot of time developing their goals or developing their plans, but when it came time to implementing them, they got sidetracked. And I thought those type of stories were really fascinating because, again, reflecting on my own experience and my own life, I could certainly come up with a lot of examples of situations where I myself got sidetracked. And I decided to do research on why that might happen. And so I spent basically the last 10 years doing research around uh, situations in which uh, we set out with very specific goals or with very carefully developed plans, but we end up with outcomes that uh, we are unhappy with or that we regret. And so I wanted to study why that might be and what we can do about it. No, absolutely. And as you, as I read through the book, I especially found um, some of the examples that you cited were all, all too similar to ones that I kind of went through. I think we all go through life uh, with a certain plan or go through even a, a part of life or a project with a certain plan of how it's going to work out, and it, it gets sidetracked. And um, you, you actually say you kind of categorize into three different sort of forces that work uh, on us to get us sidetracked, forces that come from, from inside ourselves, which are the ones I sort of kick myself most for, um, but also forces from our relationships and forces from the outside. I, I wondered if we could take those one by one and talk a little bit first about what are some of those forces from within ourselves um, that contribute to our getting sidetracked? Sure. So as you were saying, thinking about all the many ways in which uh, we often do not reach the goals that we set out to achieve or the plans that we had, uh, we get sidetracked as, as we implement them. So I started asking myself, why, why might that be? And it seems to me that there are, in fact, three categories of forces that derail us. So uh, you were asking about forces from within. Those are forces that relate to either our own thinking or our own emotions. So in terms of uh, forces that relate to our own thinking, one thing that is clear, and uh, I've done some research on this and other behavioral scientists have done research on this, is that we tend to have overly 
positive views of our own capabilities and skills. So, for example, if I were to ask you on a series of dimensions uh, whether you think that you're better than average or uh, if we were in a classroom uh, with other executives, I ask you to compare yourself to others, uh, what we tend to find is that on a series of dimensions from how good you are at making decisions or how good you are at developing friendships or how good you are at launching businesses, you tend to rate yourself better than uh, everybody else in the room. So you think that you're better than average and you have this very uh, positive view of your ability and skills. And as it turns out, uh, that can be problematic because it often gives us too much confidence in our own abilities and it leads us to, for example, take risks that uh, we shouldn't be taking or uh, it leads us to pay too much attention to our own opinions and completely disregard the opinions and perspective of others. So it comes in the way of uh, making good decisions and, and sticking to the plan. Hmm. No, absolutely. And there's a, um, there's a really funny uh, anecdote in there where you talk about people who rated themselves more likely to go to heaven than they rated Mother Teresa, um, which exactly. I think is a, a, a totally telling anecdote. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think there's even, you know, there's research on uh, 86% of people say they're above average drivers. And I, I, I joke in one of my classes at university that I think the average executive would rate themselves as an above average interviewer. In uh -huh. <laughs> Um, which is That's you know exactly right. yeah it's totally it's mathematically um, impossible but we we still sort of go by it and one of the other um, forces from within that I really kind of resonated with that gets us sidetracked is the idea of an an overly narrow focus and even you tell a wonderful anecdote about a, a cracked pot who was feeling guilty about its own um, leaking of water can you tell me tell me that story and tell me a little bit about how an overly narrow focus can uh, get us sidetracked. Yeah, so uh, it's obviously important to pay attention to the details whenever we are implementing our plans, but oftentimes we think too much uh, about the information that we have or our own side, and we sort of lose track of the bigger picture. So uh, if I think about uh, some of the research that I've done in this domain, for example, I applied it to negotiation settings. So imagine having um, an ongoing negotiation and imagine that you have a deadline and you need to reach a deal by that deadline. When we put executives, leaders, or managers, or anybody really in that type of situation, the first thing that we tend to think about is that having that deadline on us is a weakness. And so we should hide it and not talk about it to the counterpart. And what's interesting about that is that that is exactly an example of narrow focus because if we were to step back or, as I uh, discuss in my book, zoom out, we would see that that in reality is a shared constraint. And in fact, what the research that I've done suggests is that if you were to talk about your deadline and re reveal it to the other side, you would both make concessions knowing that you want to reach a deal by the deadline rather than you feeling the anxiety that you need to give stuff up because you want to reach a deal. So those are type of situations where we are too stuck and too focused on our own side of the story or our own information, and we fail to predict or to think about the fact that there is a broader picture um, and that uh, that broader picture might actually lead to uh, better decisions. 
Mm, no, I, absolutely. And, and it's not just, um, I, I should add, because I want to talk about these other forces, it's not just forces from within us and our own sort of uh, inability to zoom out and see the broader picture. Sometimes it's even our inability to zoom out and look and see the social influences that are uh, surrounding us, because a lot of the forces uh, that get us sidetracked are actually forces that come from our relationships and our um, social environment. Talk, talk a little bit about how the, the peer networks that we're in can also lead us to get sidetracked. So, uh, as you were saying, it's not just forces from within and and forces from relationships. I think it's a it's quite an interesting category, uh, at least in my mind, to study because we tend to believe that relationships are fantastic and we are all social human being and and networks and and people in them are so important to uh, our well being and and uh, in influencing uh, what we end up doing in terms of our behavior and decisions. And that is all true. So I'm not saying that uh, social relationships are, are bad, but they can come in the way of uh, us sticking to the plan and us making good decisions. So one situation where that um, comes in the way is in the way we use others to uh, figure out uh, how good we are on certain dimensions. So, again, across a variety of dimensions, uh, from attractiveness to how successful you are, or going back to the example I was giving earlier, how good of a decision maker you are, we tend to compare ourselves to others. And this actually seems to be a, a, an issue that is even more uh, salient nowadays given all the opportunities that we have to compare ourselves to others using social media, for example. And those social comparisons are such that we make them out of that of them and, and falling short on certain dimensions. So I might actually learn that you're a better decision maker than I am. And when uh, when that might happen, where I uh, compare myself to you and I, and I feel like I'm not as good as you are on that dimension, then I might experience a sense of distress or, or even envy. And those type of social comparisons can lead to all sorts of dysfunctional behaviors. So, for example, in organizations, those type of social comparisons might lead to sabotage. Um, so you're sabotaging your colleagues because you want to be better than they are and because you feel envious of um, of the dimensions in which they score nicely. Or another domain where social comparisons might come in the way is the way we actually evaluate others. So there is a beautiful series of studies that uh, Steven Garcia at the University of Michigan conducted where he's looking at what he calls the social comparisons bias. So imagine you were evaluating uh, another person, maybe because you are in the process of hiring new candidates or choosing teammates uh, or thinking about promotion decisions, and you discover that this person is as good or even better on a dimension where you feel you're the expert. Uh, so, for example, creativity. They seem to be as creative or even more innovative than you are. Rather than saying, oh, yes, let's get this person on the team, you're actually going to reject the person because you feel that uh, his or her profile is threatening to you. So, once again, the social comparisons might actually lead to very dysfunctional behaviors that in the end produce costs for uh, the team in this case or the organizations overall. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of an old um, adage in the realm of hiring where, you know, they, they always say that 
A performers hire A performers and B performers don't actually hire B performers. They hire C performers so they can look like um, they themselves are A performers because if they if they hired somebody as good or better than them, it would just point out that they're not performing as, as much as they could be too. But this um, these social comparisons, I should add, there's a great story in there about how they can also somewhat be used towards a good end. In fact, um, in your own story of how you basically use the power of a small little sticker to get in shape. That's exactly right. So uh, I, I think that it helps knowing that these social comparisons can derail us. And so you can start thinking a little bit more strategically about how you can use them to your advantage. Um, and so in my own case, I was struggling with making sure that I would go regularly to the gym. Uh, and uh, I picked people um, at the gym that I thought were good examples for me to follow. And I kept comparing my progress to their progress, and I found that to be quite motivating. Uh, and I think it's actually quite hilarious that those effects were uh, there and that I kept going to the gym very regularly, uh, given that I know uh, the research base uh, on that quite well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Even, even, even if you're aware of that bias and that uh, lens, you're still – sort of subject to it. And, and I should should add to kind of um, wrap up the three forces, you're also subject to another force, which is um, forces from outside of yourself, things like uh, things like irrelevant information or even just how you frame um, a situation. Talk, talk a bit about how those forces from, from the outside world can affect our decision-making and get us sidetracked. Yes, yeah, so, so uh, I think that the major factor there is um, the fact that oftentimes irrelevant information ends up uh, sidetracking us and ends up being part of our decisions when uh, it really shouldn't. So just to give you an example, there is actually uh, um, some research on what psychologists call the input bias, and it's the fact that uh, if you look at uh, potential signals of effort, you use those to judge how good the outcome is. So a funny depiction of this is an episode from Seinfeld where George Constanza was keeping his car parked at the office uh, for long periods of time so that his boss could actually use that as a signal of the fact that he was really being productive, when in fact you could imagine the person being in the office and just serving the web uh, rather than being productive. And it seems that uh, there are lots of situations where uh, in this case, is information about the input. We use it to evaluate our uh, peers and colleagues or, or workers when, in fact, that information is not that relevant. So another example of that is, um, again, in the realm of evaluating other people for their behavior. So what we fail to do uh, quite regularly is accounting for the role that the situation had in determining uh, the action of the person that we are evaluating. So for example, um, if you imagine uh, looking at the performance of of a salesperson, uh, maybe this person is performing incredibly well in a market where it is really easy to make sales, uh, and you might be comparing that person to another one who's struggling a little bit more in terms of performance, but he or she is actually selling in a region where it's very difficult to make sales. And so what we might be doing, because we're human beings, when we look at those two candidates, uh, we might actually reward the salesperson. Uh, from the first case 
who's performing really well, and we completely discount the fact that is or she is in an environment where uh, his or her job is made particularly easier because of uh, demand. So we tend not to account for the role that the situation has on that person's behavior. Oh, yeah, exactly. And and I find even, you know, sales, we, we're guilty of this and we feel like that's an area where performance is kind of clear cut. And then as we get to even more uh, difficult types of performance to measure, it gets even, it gets kind of even worse. Um, I, I should I should add and, and kind of um, want to take a personal spin because there are the varieties of these forces that can get us sidetracked. But just like in the example of the little stickers, not not every sidetracked um, decision is necessarily bad. Although we want to make sure the ones that are, are a good idea keep us in, in straight line. But you yourself have become an interesting um, interesting result of a slight sidetrack. And if it weren't for that sidetrack, we wouldn't have this um, awesome book and a wealth of research to tie into. Tell, tell me a bit about your own life and how you got a little sidetracked. Yes, thank you for the compliment. Uh, it, yes, it's funny that if I think about uh, the, the patterns of behavior that tend to capture my mind, I, in my own research, I'm always uh, interested and driven to study situations where the outcomes that we reach uh, do not match the plans that we had in mind, and and we sort of regret those outcomes. But there are certainly situations where being a little bit flexible in terms of revising the plan uh, can be helpful as we are in the implementation part of it. So in reflecting on my own stories, I think that that's one where the flexibility was actually quite helpful. So I started out when I was uh, thinking about uh, what to do after high school. I really wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to build houses, something in between an engineer and an architect. And uh, on my way to uh, take the exam uh, for entering uh, college focusing on engineering and architecture, uh, I was actually completely swayed by something that a student from the economics department said about the program there. And he was describing this amazing set of faculty and these wonderful facilities. Uh, and so a week later, after meeting this person who I never met before, I was actually enrolled in the economics department uh, in the same city. So I definitely got sidetracked uh, from uh, irrelevant information that wasn't really what should be driving your decisions of where to go to college. Uh, but the outcome in this case is, is certainly one that I think is a good one. No, absolutely. And, and I should add, you know, when I look at these different forces, and I, I kind of read that story, I think it's funny because it's a, a good sort of personal example of a, of a sidetrack, but it also sort of represents some of the things you advocate in the book, which is that you were set on a plan, but maybe not necessarily considering all the perspectives, all of the information, maybe with too narrow of a, of a frame to look through. And then when you zoomed out and widened it, it was a little bit of a pivot, and had it not been for that pivot, we never would have gotten a book on, on sidetrack. I want to kind of encourage our listeners, this, this book is actually really, really um, enjoyable. The mission of Leader Lab, when we started, and has always been to shine a spotlight on solid research, of which you know we've written about uh, Francesca's research for a really long time. It's really cool to see the stories of that research and the implications of that research from the actual researcher, which is, to me, the most enjoyable part um, of sidetracked. So I want to encourage our listeners to read it. But I also kind of want to shift and, and ask you, what, what are you reading right now? <laughs> uh, 
uh, I am actually reading uh, a book that is about to come out uh, that is related to decision-making, and it's called Decisive. And I think it's a book that is a wonderful pairing of uh, some of the arguments that I make in my own book, and Chip Heath and his brother uh, wrote it together. So I am really enjoying it at the moment. Oh, it's actually... I read an, an advanced copy too for the for the site, and so it's actually funny. I should tell you, I read both of your books in kind of the same week, week and a half, and so yeah. I basically had this sort of intensive uh, course, basically master class <laughs> in decision making, in the course of um, of about uh, a, a week, a week and a half, and they're both they're both wonderful. I love. Um, what I love especially about, about yours is that a lot of these studies you were sort of involved in, and there's lots of little personal anecdotes about uh, one of your colleagues who uh, really, really enjoyed wine but was also guilty of re-gifting wines he didn't enjoy. Um, and, he and loved the, the fact that they talked about the story in the book. Did he? I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. Action would be when he when he would see it. And if if by the way, for the listeners, if you're curious on what we're talking about, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to check out uh, the book. We don't we don't have too much time to uh, to delve into it because I want to ask Francesca our, our last question, which is I know the book is out and you're in the throes of promoting the book, but what's next for you? What are you looking into research wise now? What are you working on? That's an excellent question. So I am uh, still doing some work on uh, trying to understand how we can best uh, stay on track uh, uh, going forward. I think that uh, as behavioral scientists, we often spend time trying to point to the all the rationalities that we have because we are humans. Uh, but then, uh, for example, when I go into organizations or when I get to talk to executives, uh, there is a, a very strong push uh, and, and a lot of questions about, okay, I understand that I'm irrational, what should I do about it? So I'm trying to beef up my research and trying to understand how we can best de-bias uh, ourselves and how we can uh, best stay, uh, stay on track going forward and also create uh, processes and systems in our own organizations so that we can keep others on track or we can help them uh, stay on track. Um, so those are, are, are some of the, uh, the things that I'm doing in my own research. And then the journey of uh, writing the book was actually much more enjoyable than what I thought or what other authors uh, told me. And so I'm actually starting to think about how I could uh, put together uh, research and materials for, for a second book. Oh, awesome. Well, um, based on having read the first one, we'll we'll look forward to it. So the the book again is called Sidetracked: Why Our Decisions Get Derailed and How We Can Stick to the Plan. It, it's a great read if you're like myself and like the average uh, Leader Lab reader and Leader Lab listener, and you like to kind of geek out on the research because this is research, practical implications, and even some of the true stories behind how the research got inspired, et cetera, which I always enjoy, and I think you will too. So check out Sidetracked, Francesca. Thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. David, thank you so much for taking the time to read the book and to talk to me about it.